brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a Midi clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, Chapter 29, The Lost Diadem. May I have your attention, please? May I have your attention, please? Will the real weird sisters please stand up? We're gonna have a problem here. We're the weird sisters, we're the real weird sisters. All you other weird sisters are fine, but not the victors. Will the real weird sisters please stand up? Please stand up. Please stand up. Hi, and welcome to the Real Weird Sisters. I'm Martha. And I'm Alice. And today we're here to talk about Chapter 29 of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Um, Alice, a diadem is a bit like a crown, in case you were wondering. I was going to say, what's a diadem? (laughs) Um, Well, Luna, can you tell me what it's all about? (laughs) Yeah, thank you for for that nice callback to our holiday show, if you haven't had a chance to listen yet. Um, That's all I can think of now, anytime I see the word diadem. Yeah, I had that song stuck in my head all week, um, just preparing for this episode um, and then reading the chapter I, in the scene where then Ron says, sorry, but what is a diadem? I just heard <laughs> a diadem. <laughs> right. Thanks to our listener, Justin, who has like, learned at the foot at the foot of Shut Up, Tim. Um, yeah. And yeah. more talent for sure, but equally annoying. <laughs> But my favorite part, and this is, uh, I know I can nitpick Justin just because um, he's our patron and he he likes it when we nitpick nitpick him here. Uh, I just hear, Lunar, can you tell me what it's all about? Because his accent is Lunar instead of Lula. Yes, it's very... It's very fun. It makes me, I, I always hear it in Justin's voice, so. Yeah, exactly. So, um, without further ado, here's the It's a bit like a crown. I'm just kidding. I don't think we need to play that. Well, if you want to listen to it, go back and listen to our holiday yeah, show. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, if you didn't listen to our holiday show, I don't know what what you were uh, what was stopping you, but mm-hmm, exactly. Um, spe- speaking of things that listeners need to do, um, we have not gotten very much feedback this year on our feedback survey, and I don't know why that is. Um, please hop on over to realweirdsisters.com/feedback. Um, it's kind of making me dragged down uh, into that tunnel of imposter syndrome that we all love because uh, in previous years by this point we've gotten several hundred uh responses and this year we're only at about a hundred it's been up for two weeks i don't know what's happening i think it was partly our fault because we released it midweek we should have waited and had it originally on the same day as the show came out and we could have done a big promo for it but come on people 
I guess it was our fault for having faith in our listeners. I know we have more than 100 listeners, so let's let's get on that. Well, I'm glad you're confident because I'm starting to doubt it. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, well, let's go ahead and talk about this chapter. And, you know, we, tr- we, we used to not do this every week, but this week we definitely have to talk about the chapter art because <laughs> I don't know yeah, what to say, I don't actually. know. I don't know why we started all of a sudden in book seven. It was like every single week. But this one, this one, we really, we can't gloss over it, unfortunately, as much as I would like to not have to talk about it. <laughs> um, okay, so Neville looks like he is in The Walking Dead or something. <laughs> well, okay, that's a little insensitive because he has been severely beat up by the Caros in like day in and day out. So right. It's understandable why he looks like he's been beat up, but it does not understandable why he looks the way he does other than that. And why he's like extending his hands out for a hug. I mean, I know, I know this is what he looks like coming out of the the passageway, but uh, not how I picture Neville though. Uh, no. No. I don't care for it. <laughs> All right, maybe we should just not talk about it anymore actually. Well, his arms are really short and his hands are huge. Yes, um, it reminds me, this is a very weird story, but it reminds me of, uh, when I was a freshman at high school, um, I took this class, uh, theater, and there was, it was like an elective, so it wasn't all people in the same grade level, so there was, I was a freshman, and there were sophomores, juniors, and seniors all in the class, and there was this senior kid, Sean, who was so weird, like, (laughs) just like a total weirdo, um, and he had, like, long blonde hair, he was, like, very, (laughs) uh, very like took up a lot of space in the room just like he was in theater so he had made sense um but he used to do this like well yeah but he used to do this like really weird bit where he would be like he would like be looking down on his hands and he'd be like my hands are huge (laughs) okay was it funny or was it just strange no i mean it was funny like we were laughing at him. I mean, I, I don't really know. It was, it was strange. Well, <laughs> he wanted he wanted us to laugh at him, so I guess so it then was that's funny. considered laughing with him then. But it was like laughing at the premise of him. <laughs> I don't so yeah, know. not exactly what he wanted. Right, right. I mean, we we were laughing. <laughs> But yeah, uh, that's kind of what Neville's probably saying. My hands are huge. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I hope not, actually. <laughs> anyway, so you thought of that uh, before or after I pointed out his hands? Just now when you oh, said okay. it. Okay. It wasn't I had never really noticed that that was... No, that was... Uh, I've actually never really been able to put into words why I don't like this picture of Neville um, until you've mentioned the huge hands. And I think that's that you you uh, well, also, hit the like, nail right on the head. Also, I don't I don't know, but it looks like his what would be Neville's left arm looks significantly shorter than his right arm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, I know maybe it's right. the angle, but like it literally looks like it's about half the length of his right arm. Yeah, he looks like he's a little disfigured. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that Mary Grandpre is very uh, talented at uh, creating landscapes. And, I think um, she's good at building the, cover- the covers of these books. Yes. 
But these yes. chapter arcs are not not really my favorite. I mean, I think there's a reason that she didn't become like a cartoonist, like drawing the same character over and over again. Um, not really her well, fortune. We talked about that. How she doesn't yes. really have that consistency there. No. <laughs> I still love her. Of course, yes, um, and I love her covers, especially. I think that's that's what she is really. Most of the covers, really anyway. That. Most of the covers. <laughs> First couple oh, covers sec- are kind of weird. Second <laughs> one, especially. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, well, um, yeah, no, no shade, no tea, no shade. Not at all. <laughs> okay, well, um, yeah. Let's move on uh, and talk about this actual chapter because we've got a lot to talk about here. Yeah, we do. This was a pretty exciting chapter and I really like, I don't know, I was almost getting like chills or something when I was thinking about how they're going into Hogwarts and how like this whole thing is coming to an end. It's really crazy. I know, and I um, couldn't stop reading um, when I finished this chapter. I had to move on. Obviously, it ends kind of on kind of a cliffhanger with, well, not even kind of a cliffhanger. It ends on a cliffhanger with uh, Electo, spoiler alert, pressing her finger to her dark mark. Um, so, yeah, these last few chapters of this book are just so exciting, so well done. Um, and this this is really, like, where the ball gets rolling um, with going into Hogwarts. It's just such a great feeling to be back at Hogwarts, even though it's, like, eerie and wrong and everything's off. Um, there's still that nostalgia factor as well. So, yeah, yeah I really enjoyed that. It's also just really fun to finally get all of the all of Harry's peers back together again and Dumbledore's army is all reassembled. Um, I don't know. It's just a very, like that lifts your spirits, even though it's a dark time. These yeah, are yes. dark times. These are dark times. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, all right. So we pick up the chapter where we left off, obviously um, with Neville arriving in the hogshead and um, they're all, very confused about how he's there. Um, they kind of have to take in his appearance for a little bit because I'll just go ahead and read out what he looks like. Because one of his arms well, is because <laughs> uh, That's actually not mentioned here, but it does say one of his eyes was swollen yellow and purple, gouge marks on his face, and his general air of unkemptness, um, which suggests that he's been living rough. So, um, yeah, not great. No, not good at all. But this is nothing. Seamus is worse. <laughs> right, yeah. Typical, like, of these these kids to, like, downplay that. Yeah. Um, one thing that I remember when I was reading this the first time, uh, thinking, is Neville, like, clearly... I mean, Neville and Seamus, like, I don't think they were ever, like, close, close before. That's not like they weren't getting along before this. Um, and I totally understand, obviously, why um, they have become good friends this year. Obviously, they are the two um, Gryffindor... Gryffindors in their year, Gryffindor boys in their year that um, are left. And they're also, um, you know bonded through the the whole Dumbledore's army and stuff. I understand why they have become close, but the the like quick like jump into Neville and Seamus being best friends in this chapter, um when I read it the first time, I remember feeling like a little bit like it was a little jarring reading how obsessed with Seamus Neville is. <laughs> well, to be fair, Harry's kind of always been obsessed with Seamus himself. So it, now it, I think Neville maybe was too. We just didn't get it as much from his perspective and now Neville's finally gotten the opportunity to bond with Seamus that he's always wanted. 
obviously we know why Seamus is worse. Um, he is uh, doesn't just have the the bruises from the caros. He also has all the burns from his own pyromania. Right, exactly. I was gonna say like it. To be fair, I mean, yes, maybe Neville or maybe Seamus does look worse, but all of his stuff was self-inflicted from his pyromania. Right, because that's canon. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, Neville is, uh, again, mentioning Seamus over and over. He's like, kept telling Seamus it was a matter of time. We get it. You, get, you and Seamus are besties. We get it. You talk to Seamus now. <laughs> we get she- it. Well, Seamus no, more of the, the time of day Seamus now. talks to you now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, Seamus is okay everybody has a crush on Seamus we get it he's really cool Um, very very um, you know everybody the girls love him the boys the girls want to be with him the boys want to be him (laughs) yeah (laughs) I don't know where I came up with that I thought you like Obviously, I've heard that expression before, but I thought you were, like, quoting some weird movie or something. I, th- I think I am, but I don't know what it is. Because um, <laughs> I, think, I think it's, like, I'm, I'm probably mixing a few things. I'm thinking also of uh, when uh, <laughs> when uh, Judy Geller says, they all loved him <laughs> about Ross. <laughs> or they yeah, all were have- in love with him. You kind of had a little bit of a Judy Geller kind of a voice there, so that probably is what yeah. you're pulling from. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, um, so Neville also, uh, he's he's gotten a lot more confident, and I do like seeing the shift in Neville Neville's character, obviously, um, leading up to him being the one to oust Nagini, but um, he's putting on a little... We're seeing right away that he's kind of a changed Neville because he's like bossing Aberforth around and calling him Ab. <laughs> oh, Ab. Yeah, he tells There's them. There's more will be coming in. They'll just apparate straight into the bar. Well, Neville, didn't you know that's extremely rude? What do you mean a couple more, Longbottom? There's a curfew and a catawallant charm of the whole village. He's like, oh, I know. That's why they'll be directly apparating into, or apparating directly into the bar. I know, he's kind of acting like Fred and George here. Uh, kind of well, acting like he owns the bar. Yeah, he, well, you know, Neville has a lot of ambitions, and uh, herbology professor's not the only one. <laughs> I think that, like, Neville is operating on, like, hoping to get squatter's rights on this bar, because, you know, <laughs> he has, like, the tunnel, and he's been coming to the bar all the time, and now he thinks that he owns it. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, he I just love that he calls him Ab too. Like how did he and Aberforth exactly get that close? I'm not Right. And the sure. other thing I'm a little unsure about is because I know that they have the the hideaway of the room of requirement and then the tunnel opened and then they started getting food from the bar. But then why is Neville still covered in bruises? Um what do you mean? Cuz it hasn't he been like hiding out in the room of requirement for like weeks now? Yeah, I guess these must be really bad bruises. <laughs> yeah, they should all be, like, yellowed and, like, almost healed, though. Well, most of them are yellowed, I think. Okay. It just seems a little bit in- incongruous. Maybe that's well, the... I, th- I think he's actually... I think that we're we're mixing up the picture with the actual things that's described here, because it, it says that his eye is swollen yellow and purple, but I think the most uh, disturbing part is that there's these gouge marks all over him. So that's what doesn't heal so quickly. It's not just bruises, it's, like, scars from okay. the disturbing things that the Karos had them do. 
Okay, I guess that makes them. sense. And I think they are also, like, distracted by how unkempt Neville looks because he's been living in the room of requirement and hasn't been bathing. Yeah, even though there is a bathroom there now. <laughs> oh, yeah, thanks to the girls. <laughs> I know, but, like, so what's Neville's excuse now? Well, I think the bathroom's just for the girls. Uh-huh. The boys, the boys are too macho for that. <laughs> right. Um, personal hygiene boo neville neville's gonna wait until seamus uh is the first person to to show personal hygiene and then he'll feel like it's okay for him to do it too right then he'll follow suit yeah (laughs) anyway so they're they say goodbye to aberforth pretty quickly um you mean ab yeah ab right Uh, see that's why i'm pretty sure it's pronounced aberforth not aberforth alice well i guess so but because then they'd be calling him abe Honest Abe. <laughs> Old Honest Abe. <laughs> he is pretty honest. I guess. Yeah, you can't really... Like, he's a pretty straight shooter. Exactly. <laughs> Not uh, kind of in the same way yeah. that Old Honest Abe was supposedly no. so honest, but yeah. No. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's a sweet moment when they say goodbye to Ab, because uh, Harry says, like... You've saved our lives twice, and Aberforth says, look after him, then I might not be able to save him a third time. It's kind of a weird use of the preposition M, because it yeah. kind of sounds like... It the kind pronoun, of you mean? Yeah, or yeah, pronoun, sorry. It kind of sounds like he's talking about, like, Harry should Ron look after Hermione. Ron Hermione. Yes. Yeah. But I think he's saying them he's as in... their lives, yeah. Exactly. Thank you for summarizing that for me. Well... <laughs> I'm just saying I've also had that thought for a long time, and I used to always be very confused by it. <laughs> well, I figured it out. I'm not confused. I just think it's a different usage of the word that I, I've gone for. I, did, I didn't mean to suggest that you didn't know what it meant now. I was just getting excited <laughs> to talk about it because I also have had the same struggle. Yeah. I wonder and if I wanted, that's just like I a general... I wanted you to know how to pronounce it. I do think that's a general like thing that... Mm, I'd like to hear from the British patrons if this is how they would also phrase it or if this is a quirk to just Aberforth. Yeah, that's that's something I'd be curious to find out about, too. Um, it seems like I wouldn't actually be surprised if it is like a British thing, because yeah. um, that seems to be like, I don't know, like the um thing seems to I can just hear that being a British thing. But I don't, I don't know what I'm talking about. Well, really. I just think like if it was going to be me responding, I would say like. Or, like, to, if I was Aberforth in this situation, I would say, like, well, look after it, even though it kind of does uh, – that isn't a very good, like, subject antecedent agreement, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Look, I would probably – I probably wouldn't use a pronoun. I'd probably just say, look after your lives then. I don't know. Look after yourselves. Or, yeah, maybe look after look yourselves. Look after your I lives. <laughs> well... <laughs> Okay, anyway, let's let's move on. They they start going through the passageway and Ron is like kind of asking a zillion questions. He's like very confused about this passageway. How long's this been here? It isn't on the Marauders map, is it Harry? I thought there were only seven passages in and out of school. And then I like how Neville then answers that question. And then he and then he waits quite a while until he actually answers the other questions. But he's just like, okay, we get that the other tunnels are sealed up. That seems the most obvious. But then yeah, he doesn't answer like how long it's been there. That's what's more interesting, right? Or like what it is. Um, but yeah, I think I I can see I I, I think this whole like journey into Hogwarts is 
pretty well done for what it is. Um, it's Neville has to explain to Ron and Hermione and Harry what all's been happening and where they're living and stuff. Um, and it is a lot of narration on Neville's part of him telling us and, you know, Ron and Hermione and Harry asking the occasional question um, as they make this journey into Hogwarts. Um, this was probably something that was, I think, if anybody writing this would probably struggle with figuring out how to tell this story because um, it's like, like a lot of telling not showing but like you can't really show stuff in the past when you have a limited third person narrator so right like if this was a tv like, show we might yeah. do like a, a flashback which i hate by the way but, yeah so i'm glad that we <laughs> i'm just glad that we get it like this yeah so I, I mean i think that it works pretty well but i i agree that there's a couple of moments like like here where ron asks all the questions about the passageway and then we don't get the all the answers until later like that had to be done that way just because it because of the sake of the narrative that Neville's telling. Um, but yeah, I, I can, ne- I, can I wish see. Neville would have been like, whoa, 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 one at a time, one at a time. And then <laughs> back okay. it up. So first of all, this has been here for approximately a month. And second of all, um, no, I don't believe it is on the Marauders map. But I wouldn't know since <laughs> I've never had the privilege of looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not mad though. No hard feelings. <laughs> right. <laughs> And he goes, first of all, or then, or then he goes, you're probably wondering how I got myself into this situation. And then we enter flashback. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, well, that's not what happens, thankfully. Um, but, yeah, do you agree that this is this way, this, like, narrative choice of Neville telling the story of all the things that have been that's been happening and how he got here and stuff? Do you think it works pretty well? Well, yeah, I feel like it's really pretty organic because, I mean, if you hadn't seen your friend in several months and a lot had been going on in both of your lives, that's what you would do is catch up on catch up on it and tell each other the story of what's been happening. Um, and they have this whole I, the tunnel thing was a good idea because it takes a little while to walk into Hogwarts. It's not like we're going to be um, bombarded with all the other students until we get there. So there's really just this time where they can catch up. Yeah, I agree. I think the tunnel is really what makes this work, um, because if they were just trying to do all this catch up in the bar with Aberforth or something like that wouldn't work. And then if they were trying to do it in the room of requirement, that wouldn't make logical sense either, because all the people in the room would want to be questioning Harry instead of Harry questioning them. Um, So, yeah, I think the fact that they're making this journey through a tunnel is what makes this work, because it takes long enough that they can talk about all the things that Neville needs to tell them in that time. Plus, like, it, it makes sense because, I mean, if they're walking in the tunnel, you need to have some dialogue to make it more interesting. Otherwise, you're just walking in a tunnel. Yeah, that's, that's true. Um, we don't want them just walking in a tunnel. That, well, I mean, I like, if, what? Harry looked around. Like, the tunnel how was many, dark and damp. Um, how many wizard pans had touched these walls? <laughs> he was guessing only a lucky few. Yep. <laughs> How many had made it out alive and how many hadn't? Okay, that just took a grim turn. <laughs> hey, they really should have let us write these books. So. Yeah, no kidding. We would have done a really good job. Uh, that's a joke. Um, any- <laughs> anyway, uh, Ron or Neville does have a couple questions for them and they're able to kind of sidestep them pretty quickly. He asks them if it's true that they escaped from Gringotts um, on a dragon. Apparently Terry Boot got beaten up by Caro for yelling about it in the Great Hall at dinner. Um, interesting to think about how these 
uh, rumors get around. Yeah, especially because this Gringotts breakout literally happened like 24 hours ago. I mean, I know that like it it would be big news in the wizarding world. So it's not like it's something that happened and nobody knew about. Uh, so it makes sense that I guess it was in the news. But I don't know. I guess maybe Terry's parents are kind of really into the gossip. So they wanted to fill him in quickly. And so they sent him an owl to let him know. Yeah, or um, an overnight think, owl. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Terry Boot, maybe he, he's got like a relative who works at Gringotts or something, probably. Um, yeah, the, it's, it like is that's... just a little incongruous because like this was about 12 hours ago that they broke out of Gringotts, I would, I would estimate. And like just, how, I mean, that would be no, in our world, that would be pretty normal to be able to know about something that had happened 12 hours ago obviously with texting and calling and stuff, but with their world, like their news travels so slowly. Uh, yeah, that's the thing is that like, I, I totally agree that if in our world, it would be very plausible. Like it would be, it would be implausible for it not to travel that fast, but most of the time in the wizarding world, that takes a really long time for stuff. Um, I guess, I guess probably, with Potter Watch, that's probably part of it, but I don't know how Potter Watch heard about it. Um, obviously, I, try, I feel like it has to do, it has to be like an insider told somebody about it. Like yeah, either totally. Terry Boot has a relative who works at Gringotts or maybe Bill heard about it somehow. Um, I, but how'd they get it to Hogwarts so fast? Well, I think if Bill heard about it, then it would have been on Potter Watch, which is like the fastest form of news um, in the wizarding world is the radio. <laughs> they're so they're they, so advanced. Because they do show the the big radio in the Room of Requirement, so clearly they're listening to Potter Watch. Right. Um, yeah, it could be. I feel like that's probably the only thing that could have happened. I don't think it would. I, I mean, I don't think that there are owls coming in and out of Hogwarts anymore. Right. I don't know. It's maybe, I guess you're probably right. That's probably the only way. Besides the coins, they can communicate on the coins, but I don't know who would have let Terry Boot know. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, I think, I think what happened is they all heard it. Like all the people in the room of requirement heard about it on Potter Watch. And then Terry Boot just like went on a tear and decided to yell about it in the Great Hall. Um, <laughs> I don't think be. Terry Boot was actually informing anybody. Like, I don't think that's how Neville heard about it. Well, especially Neville's Neville's in hiding, so he wasn't even in the Great Hall when that. <laughs> it's all a little Some jumbled. Something's not adding up here. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway, um, I feel like that that moment's just there for us to re- <laughs> do. Reminded who Terry Boot is. <laughs> it does crack me up to think about Terry Boot being so jazzed about it that he had to shout about it in the Great Hall. Yeah. <laughs> I love Terry Boot. Uh, Terry Boot is an underrated king. Um, <laughs> we stand. Like, okay, I get that you'd be excited, but would you be yelling about it? I just love picturing, like, okay, I know I know the Karos are terrifying and awful and abusive and, you know, cruel and inhumane, but the, the like, cartoon image of Terry Boot in the Great Hall, like, ah, Potter, or Harry Potter broke it! And, like, Carol, like, jumping on uh, Terry Boot's back and, like, trying to cover his mouth and, like in between uh, Terry Boots like on a on a dragon <laughs> that sound effect was pretty good um yeah but not to not to yeah. we're gonna we're gonna sp- kind of joke about the caros I just want to be clear that we 
the Karos are awful, awful, abusive, uh, yeah. you know, authoritarian. Well, obviously, we disavow the Karos, but the Karos yeah. are also, like, they're some of the most one-dimensional characters we've gotten. Yes. And so, they're like, really... a little bit harder to believe and to really, like, buy as legitimate characters. They're just, like... That's all what makes them more funny, because they're right, so one-dimensional, they're... like, comical. Cartoon characters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're not, they All don't right. feel well, like real people. Right, yeah, exactly. I think that's totally, totally accurate. It's um, not anyone I've met, luckily. Yeah, thankfully. Um, okay, so Harry and Ron and Hermione confirm that rumor, and uh, Ron makes a little joke about how Hermione wanted to keep the dragon as a pet. Um, but before... Don't exaggerate, Ronald! Uh, yeah, does not say Ronald because that's not how Hermione actually talks. <laughs> well, in the um, movie, she would definitely say Ronald. Yes, agreed. But yeah, she doesn't do that now. Um, but Harry then quickly asks, like, he's like, "Tell us about Hogwarts, Neville. We haven't heard anything because Ron- Neville is trying to ask more questions about what they've been doing, and Harry wants to sidestep that question." Yeah, and I think he really is curious about Hogwarts. Plus, narratively, we need to find out about Hogwarts because we already know what Harry's been doing. Yeah, imagine if that entire journey through the tunnel was Harry recapping all the things that they've done. (laughs) That would have been exactly the opposite of what this tunnel journey is supposed to entail for a narrative purpose. Yeah, it'd be like on a reality TV show where they have to do like a season recap as part of the finale. Right, a mid-season recap or something. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Uh, So Neville starts talking um, about what Hogwarts is like, and he starts starts with talking about the Caros, and um, Harry obviously knows that they are two Death Eaters that teach at Hogwarts, um, but Neville has to kind of explain that they're not just teachers, they're in charge of discipline, and they make Umbridge look tame, is how he describes it. Nah, they make her look tame. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do like uh, kind of hearing from Neville here he says like the other teachers are supposed to refer them to the Karos if they do anything wrong but the teachers don't do that um if they can avoid it because you can tell that they don't want to do that yeah which is what they should be doing I mean it's would be terrible if McGonagall was like well we just have to follow the rules we have procedures in place for a reason rules are rules better If I make uh, say it in her voice, if I make an exception for you, I'll have to make an exception for everyone. If I make an exception for you, I will have to make it for everyone. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, just to that be would be clear, awful though not, if she did that. Yes, that's not actually a McGonagall impression. That's a Jim Dale McGonagall impression. <laughs> That's not how I think McGonagall actually sounds. <laughs> rules are rules, Longbottom. <laughs> if I make an exception for you, <laughs> Miss Granger. <laughs> oh, so funny. Um, but yeah, so then they talk about, or Neville talks about defense against the dark arts is now, it's pretty much become dark arts and they're supposed to practice the Cruciatus curse on anybody who's earned detentions as part of that class. It's horrible. Um, but Neville points to a, a big gash in his cheek and says that that's, that the reason he got that was because he refused to do it. Um, and apparently Crab and Goyle are really into it. First time they've ever been top in anything. 
Right. Um, I still find it hard to believe that they would be good at the Cruciatus Curse. I mean, I know that they're brutes, but they're just so dumb, you would think they wouldn't even be able to handle, like, that's pretty advanced magic. Yeah, I don't think, I, I just think that they're not actually as dumb as as we used to think they were. Like, a crab especially, like, yeah. uh, crab's disturbing. Um, Just the fact that he can do, like, fiend fire and stuff, like, I think he's capable of some very, very disturbing dark stuff. Yeah, um, I guess it's, I guess the main, like, skill that's involved in the Unforgivable Curses is, like, the the wanting to do it. And so yeah. that's why it's been hard for Harry, because he hasn't really wanted it. So Although he is going to want it next chapter, several disturbing moments. Yeah. Well, um, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Not all of us have read the next chapter yet, Martha. Mm-hmm. Good point. Um, okay, so that's one big change, obviously, is that Defense Against the Dark Arts has pretty much been turned into dark arts. Um, and now um, the other big change is that Muggle Studies is now compulsory for everybody, and it is pretty much um, it, it's just her talking to them about how muggles are like animals and how they drove wizards into hiding and that the natural order needs to be reestablished. That's- What's scary about it to think about is how, like, maybe not as much for the older students because they already, like, kind of understand concepts. But, like, how many people, how many, like, little kids do you think that they've persuaded of that kind of a viewpoint? Um, yeah, it's disturbing, um, especially when you think about, um, like, this is obviously in a, a fantasy book, but um, it was obviously written um, as a parallel for things that happen in the real world um but i agree that what you're saying is like the fact that she's teaching children this like that that makes it even more disturbing because um like especially when you think about like she's teaching like younger impress more impressionable um than just like neville obviously neville and his friends like are are not going to listen to this and like take it in but like imagine the first years at hogwarts like this is their first experience of school at Hogwarts um, or like a magic school at all and like you're supposed to trust adults at that age and that would be such a, a weird moment of reckoning for those 11 year olds like hearing these things and like you're it's supposed to be a place where you learn about the truth in the world and like that that being what you're given like I don't know it's just it's a an, a creepy layer to an even creepier layer to it Right, like they don't know any differently. They haven't been at Hogwarts and seen what they should be learning. So, I mean, I guess it's you. Okay, I guess, I guess he says it's compulsory for all students now. Generally, Muggle Studies was an elective for third years and up, so you wouldn't have necessarily had first years. But it sounds like they do have to take it now. Yeah, I think so. And, um, like, I don't know. I just, I hope that these students were able to, like that this was wrong I guess it what with with the Caros being so evil I mean that's one yeah. thing is that a lot of times little kids um they aren't gonna necessarily if they don't like the adult at all I don't know that they would believe them as much as if they really respected the Caros yeah I think that's that's true but if you look at the other the other end is that if they're this afraid of the Caros, they might think that they have to believe it or else they will get punished themselves. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think there's definitely two, two sides to it. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that um, 
the way Neville's talking about this, Harry points this out too. He says like he doesn't know what's worse, the things that Neville's saying or the matter of fact tone in which he says them. Um, that's definitely um something that stood out to me reading it this time around too. Um, even before Harry points it out. Um, Neville just has like there's this big change in the way Neville is uh, talking and obviously I said confidence earlier um, it was the word I used to describe it um, I don't know if that's necessarily the right I mean he's definitely more comfortable in his skin but um, it's just this like I, I don't really know how to describe how Neville has changed exactly um, but well, there's he's such more a laid back in some ways he's yeah like he's kind of just like not as anxious yeah yeah, I mean, he's kind of just like, well, that's the way the world is, and it's mm-hmm. a little, it's almost like he's jaded in some ways, but then in other ways, like he's come into his own a little bit more as well. So that I part, think, it's both good and bad. Yeah, I think, like, I agree that he's like a little bit more like maybe not complacent, but I think he's just been waiting for Harry to get there. Like, I I don't think he's like jaded necessarily or cynical about like what's happening. Like he's saying it's happening, but I think like he's talking about all the things that he, he's been trying to give people hope this whole year. Like he, he kind of started taking over Harry's role of being the smart mouth in class and um, like saying stuff to the Caros that got him in trouble, but he does it to make people have hope because that's what Harry used to do for him. But I think he wouldn't be doing that stuff if he had actually given up. I think his, his whole thing, like we can see in this chapter is that he's been waiting for Harry to come and, um, and Ron and Hermione too. Um, but he's been waiting for the revolution to happen. Um, so I don't think that he's necessarily like totally jaded. I think he's just lying in wait. You know, like the more I think about it, the more really just like we see that Neville has really, it's kind of like the transition just from being a child to being an adult. Um, Mm -hmm. Where, you know, as a child, you're maybe more naive about the world and also more like, I think for Neville, he was more scared and he didn't quite know like how to interact with the world. Now he's really come into his own, but at the same time, he's become more jaded to the facts of the, of the facts of the world. And like, I agree he hasn't given up, but I just feel like he's kind of like become, he's just kind of accepted this as a reality, even though he's still protesting it, but it's, he's not trying to, I don't know. He does not have any sort of like childlike innocence anymore. Yeah, I agree. And I think like, like I said, he is waiting or like he's, he's um accepting it as the current state of the world, but it's a, it's a temporary thing that he's accepting. I think he is accepting it until Harry arrives at Hogwarts. Um, He's, he's been waiting for that moment when Harry, Ron, and Hermione arrive to resurrect the old, like, situation, I think. Like, well, I don't think that Seamus he... did tell Seamus he knew that Harry would be coming. He kept telling Seamus it was only a matter of time, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I really do think that um, he's saying here that he he's, he's accepting it until Harry gets there. Okay, yeah, That's I agree. That's what he's been waiting for, yeah. Um, so the next thing he talks about is... Like he's he's talking about um what the Caros have been doing to the people who have been um really like standing up to them. Um he, so for instance he talks about um old Zeno Lovegood, um, who was getting a bit too outspoken in the quibbler. Um, so that's why they dragged Luna off the train on the way back. Literally that is how he called Zeno. That was not Martha <laughs> exaggerating. Old Zeno Lovegood yeah. was getting a bit too outspoken. 
Yeah, that didn't really feel like how Neville talks, but I guess it is the new Neville. The Newville, if you will. This is Newville. <laughs> um, or Newell. Which one do we want to say? No, I think Newville. Newville. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Harry yeah, quickly cuts in like, she's all right. We've seen her. And Neville, I know she managed to get a message to me. Yeah, he's like not worried about her at all. Like, yeah. okay, we get it. You're friends with Luna too, Neville. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he pulls out the enchanted coins and he says here, um, like, he's like, tells Hermione they've been using them um, all year, um, that they um, that used to sneak out at night and put graffiti on the walls, like Dumbledore's army still recruiting. Um, cool. And Snape hated it. <laughs> did he really? <laughs> Maybe Snape not. Probably yeah, did legitimately yeah, I think hate it. Snape legitimately hated it. Well, well at least it said I, he probably hated it a little bit less than if it said like Potter's army, because um, <laughs> you know it's Dumbledore's army, not Potter's army. Right. No, but well, I think that Snape is up. I think part of what Snape hated was probably, I mean, looking at this in a pot, like trying to look at this in a positive light for Snape maybe he hated it just because he felt like they were putting themselves in danger over something really stupid because um, like this this is not I mean it is definitely helping their morale but other than that putting up graffiti that says that is doesn't really do much else so it's kind of not necessarily super worth it to risk your neck over that he really cares about those kids. He's he loves them deeply. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. If you're if we're assuming best intentions from Snape, yeah. but I don't normally we do that. Don't so. typically do. Um, okay, I guess this is probably the right time for you to tell the story about me and graffiti. Why is what's the story? Well, it's your favorite story about when I was little. It's not a story. It's just when we when Martha was like four or five, maybe maybe like three or four uh she suddenly became obsessed with graffiti and like how she like you would martha would you would see it like around town and and you would be like like you thought it was evil like so bad and <laughs> but you also the best part was that martha didn't know how to pronounce graffiti correctly she said it graffini with an n <laughs> and she would always be like oh, graffini <laughs> And then I thought it was really funny that she said graffiti and legitimately I actually thought that that was really really cute but uh -huh. I kind of teased you about it and you did not like that or I would laugh when you sad. would say it and you Maybe would literally sad. start crying because <laughs> you thought I was making fun of you. Legitimately well, I you always were. thought that that was adorable. I did not think you actually thought it was cute. I thought okay, you were graffiti is like the cutest thing ever. It is. Well don't you think that's a pretty cute thing for a little kid to say? <laughs> It was pretty cute. It was really dumb that I was like on my high horse about it. Though. <laughs> yeah, <well. gasps> graffiti. Graffiti. It was kind of like how I you thought smoking was evil. It's like I think like you were the one who taught me about graffiti, and you told me like no, it was it's probably our grandma. Illegal. No, I don't think our grandma like cares about graffiti. <laughs> Well, I just remember, I think I remember you talking about it like you were like, because yeah, I, I think I saw it once. And memories I, you're going to embellish. No, I think I saw it once and I said like, oh, someone did a painting or something. Uh -huh, and you were right. like, that's so fake. 
<laughs> you were like, that's not a painting. That's graffiti. It's illegal. <laughs> I don't think so. I, I remember see, I could either you see our mom saying, saying that or our grandma um, no. telling you. You used, to, you used to be quite pompous about stuff like that, too. Like, it's illegal. Um, you still yeah, kind of know. are. Well, okay. People should try to obey the law when they can. <laughs> when they can well okay, um anyway like yeah this graffiti on the wall is not really worth it <laughs> although i do see Gra- this as, i mean i get i get how this is a major morale booster for them like it's, that's a really nice message to see like if you're maybe you're not in dumbledore's army but you're like sympathetic to the cause then you see that like it makes you feel like you're not totally alone yeah that's true um but they actually they they used to do this, Alice. Yeah, well, you used to? <laughs> I've noticed wow, the you past never, you'd, <laughs> That was my favorite stupid line. <laughs> Harry, who had noticed the past tense. <laughs> How did he know um, about past tense? Because he never took any kind of English <laughs> He did in elementary, or in, pri- in primary. That's true. He, you know, he can do math and stuff. And past Apparently tense and stuff. Can, and past tense and stuff, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Neville says that they stopped doing this kind of stuff because they lost Luna at Christmas and Ginny never, never came back after Easter. Um, and they started coming down on Neville harder and then Michael Corner got caught releasing her first year and they tortured him pretty badly and that scared people off. No kidding. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so this is Neville's leading up to him saying that um, a couple of weeks ago they decided there was only one way to stop him, Neville, and they decided to go for Gran. They what? <laughs> they what? They decided to go for what? <laughs> um, so Neville's actually kind of clutching a stitch in his side as he gets to this point of the story because the passage is climbing so steeply. And also, I can totally relate to Neville here. Obviously, Neville is probably in better shape than I have ever been um, at this point in his life. But um, when you're the one who's walking up, like when you're on a hike or something and you're the one telling the story, like that makes it so much worse. Like, because Neville's pretty much the exclusive one speaking for this whole length of time. Like, Ron and Hermione and Harry are not really talking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can see why Hermione Neville would be was talking. She'd, she'd definitely be clutching a stitch as well. Definitely, yes. Um, but yeah, apparently they uh, they bit off a bit more than they could chew with Gran because um, they only sent Dolish, and now he's in he's still in Saint Mungo's, and Gran's on the run. <laughs> well, go Gran. Yeah, I do love the phrase "Gran's on the run." Yeah, it's it's pretty cool to see like how much she can stick up for herself and you know typical death eaters to underestimate her yeah well yeah she can take care of herself you know exactly um and she sent neville a letter telling him she was uh proud of him and that he's their parents his parents son and to keep it up (laughs) yeah and then um, you're supposed to to say cool cool said ron (laughs) No, I mean, it is very sweet to see that Gran has kind of come around on Neville and she's realized that he really is someone to be very proud of. But it would have been nice if she 
would have known that from the start and not had yeah. to rely, rely on him being like a war hero in order to yeah. like him. <laughs> okay. I mean, I, I kind of, my, my opinion of Augusta Longbottom kind of is complicated. Uh, I do feel that way a lot. Like what you said, obviously I've voiced that opinion on the podcast. Like her love is not necessarily unconditional and that's a little frustrating. Uh, but I think like I do also see the side of it where I do think she always has been proud of Neville and always loved him, but her way of showing it has been the problem like that she has just pushed him so much and like acted done that whole like being really really hard on him to the point of pushing him to his breaking point and seeing how far he could go like that is a valid parenting way in some ways um I just do think she took it too far sometimes so I don't know. It's nice that she's finally accepted him and is yeah. loving him, on, you know, unconditionally, except for That's the good. conditions. That, yeah. I <laughs> I don't know. I agree. Like, it. she ends up, it's kind of like an ends justify the means thing where it's like, okay, well, now she is proud of him and she does love him, so it's all okay. Whereas, and doesn't really matter the journey that she got there. Um, but if you don't quite buy into that type of logic, then it is a little bit kind of disheartening yeah I think I just yeah maybe it's it's becoming a teacher but I I just do see like parents treat it I mean sometimes it is really like just trying to be hard on somebody because you love them so much so I don't know yeah I guess maybe that could be her justification yeah didn't always anyway. that's not how it came across to know uh, right exactly that's 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 what the problem is um but yeah so they as they as Neville finishes telling this part of the story, he says like that they decided or he realized that since they didn't have any kind of leverage over him anymore, um, he was going to need to disappear because um, he thought that they were probably going to try to kill him or send him to Azkaban. Right, which, I mean, good thing he thought of that because that would have been bad if he didn't go into hiding. But it, it kind of sounds like he... I guess he didn't necessarily do this super proactively. Like he knew he needed to go into hiding, but then he was like running on the run from the Caros as he found the room is what he says later. Yeah. I had never really noticed that before, but you're totally right that it says that he was um, like actually on physically on the run um, from the Caros. He wasn't just like realizing like tactically, like I need to figure out a way to disappear. Um, so it's kind of strange to me. I guess the Caros just gave up on searching for him. Yeah, well, it says the Caros were chasing me and I knew I had just one chance for a hideout. And that's how he he ran to the room. And then, I, I mean, maybe he was far enough ahead of them that, like, you know, he rounded the corner and then they couldn't tell which direction he went or something like that. Yeah. But, like, it's kind of weird because it's like, I knew it was time to disappear. Well, yeah, because the Caros were literally <laughs> on your heels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they're they are coming back into Hogwarts. Ron's very confused when Neville says that they that he needed to disappear. But um, in the middle of him telling this story, uh, they break into or they they open the door into the room, and there's several screams and yells. Harry, it's Potter! It's Potter! Ron! I just, wish they st- I just wish they still had the Potter for President signs. My favorite. I, I just cringe every time I see Hermione. 
italics the way that it is. Like, who who is saying that, really? Okay, the way you... I don't... I feel like you're majorly overanalyzing that, and that's coming from me. It's always bothered me that... Harry, it's Potter, it's Potter! Ron! Hermione! (laughs) I think you're majorly overanalyzing... The italics. I think that's supposed it's to sort of represent that it's someone me. else's voice. It's always bothered me. So you don't think anyone's excited to see Hermione? No. I don't think anybody is like, that excited that they go, Hermione! Oh, come on. You know that Parvati was really missing her friend. Yeah, because they got along so well. Exactly. Okay, I really do think you're very much over-reading over reading into that. It's um, one of those things that I've read, every time I read it, it just kind of ugh, makes me cringe. <laughs> okay, I always thought it was a very, like, touching scene to see how excited everyone was to see them, and how much they all just, like, swarm around them, and it says that, you know, they're engulfed and being pounded on the back. It's really exciting to see them all together again. Like, that's cute. I just think it's ridiculous that they had to be like, okay, yes, uh, there is at least one person who's excited to see Ron and at least one person who's excited to see Hermione. <laughs> well, they would be excited to see them. Harry's not the only one who they're friends with. Yeah, but so excited that they have to go, Ron, Hermione! <laughs> uh, yeah, half the people in the room are like, now who are those two people? I remember Harry, but I'm not sure yeah. who these guys are. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. I just, that whole moment has always made me cringe. If you As you've said, me. yes. Thank you. Anyway, um, so it is a nice moment with them all being crowded by everybody. And it says, like, it feels like they had just won a Quidditch final or something. Um, and it says there's actually, feels like there's more than 20 people there. And I do really like taking in the room at the beginning here um, because it's how I have to say, I always kind of forget about this room. But if I had to pick one room in Hogwarts, now that I'm thinking about it, actually, like this is probably my favorite room in Hogwarts. I always forget about it. But when I hear about it, every time I read about it, it just sounds so cool. You mean the room of requirements specifically like this? Yes, specific like the way that Neville had like this this treehouse pretty much that Neville has made. Yeah, Neville, he really gets this room. Yeah, um, it's all down to Neville. Uh, but it's, it's, I just think it sounds really cool, don't you? Yeah, it is definitely really cool. But um, if it was me, I think, like, I, would, I think I would miss the common room a little bit. Well, but this is like, this is the common room for Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, and Ravenclaw together. And I think that's what's really cool about it. It's like, it has, it, it's described as, uh, it looks like a particularly sumptuous treehouse, or perhaps a gigantic ship's cabin. There's hammocks strung from the ceiling. There's a balcony. And then they have the tapestry hangings of Gryffindor, Ravenclaw, and Hufflepuff. Um, I Maybe this is just like the, like, uh, 90s early early 2000s PBS kid in me but I just feel like this is like <laughs> sounds the, like the, the set dream. of zoom yeah it's like the dream kids hangout place yeah it is for sure it would be super cool um I yeah I do really like it as well and you know good job to the room it does remind me of the zoom headquarters or whatever that place was <laughs> Um, but also this is, it reminds me of, um, our elementary school library, um, uh, which had this like weird, like playhouse thing in the middle of it. Um, did they have it when you were there? Yeah, they put it in when I was in third grade and it was very exciting. It was so cool. Um, it was like this 
fort, like you said, like that it, you had, it was kind of like, kind of like if you had an indoor swing set, like, like you mean um, like an indoor, like, yeah, not swing set, but right. Like a play whatever, structure, whatever the play structure. Yeah. So it was made of wood and like you two went levels. up a little ladder. Yeah. Two levels. And it just had all these pillows and cushions and it was so cool. Yeah. You're supposed to read in there. Yeah. Which I did. So I remember cool. when we got it, we had to set a lot of rules for expectations on the, on the <laughs> yes. fort. Yeah, every every couple months, like a pillow fight would break out in there, and then we'd have to not. It would be like off limits for our grade. <laughs> yeah, right. Like you'd be banned from the fort for the next month. Yeah, <laughs> it was so cool though. But yeah, this is the same kind of thing. Where like it, it's like cozy and like nerdy and like all this teamwork just this like feel of camaraderie I just feel like it's it's very cool yeah it definitely is it's almost as cool as Bill yeah where are we (laughs) um room of requirement of course (laughs) room of requirement of course that's how I picture it past itself hasn't it yeah, and then this is where Neville says that he knew he only had one chance for a hideout and he managed to get through the door and this is what he found. Right. Good thing he had figured out it was time for him to disappear. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, so Neville and Seamus do a little bit more explanation of what's been happening. Um, Seamus again says, like, it's all down to Neville. He really gets this room um, to close all the loopholes to be able to make sure it's safe. Um, but it's quite straightforward, really. Right. Um, Neville, I mean, he is a very humble kid. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, then my favorite moment is when Neville tells the story about how he was getting really hungry, and that's when the passage to the Hogshead opened up because, um, for some reason, food's the one thing the room doesn't really do. Yeah. Well, food's one of the five except- exceptions to Gamp's law of elemental transfiguration," said Ron. <laughs> that's to my favorite. Ast- and I, I like how it's to general astonishment. Yes. I love it. I, I love it because it's it's not just funny. It's also just so pure um, thinking about the fact that Ron actually was listening in that moment when, when Hermione <laughs> was talking about it. Um, like, I, I do think he admires Hermione so much and has like so much like just respect for her um, that we maybe he didn't know how to put into words um, before he left and stuff. But this this uh, conversation about Gamp's Law, like if we look back to what it was like, like he was getting really mad at her when she said yeah. this and like it was right Don't before bother he increasing left. this yeah. it's disgusting right and it was right before he left that he that they had this conversation which is probably part of why it stuck in his mind so much uh but i just think it's a really sweet and pure moment even though it's also very funny um him saying this the food's one of five exceptions to camp's law of elemental transfiguration well and it's it's kind of fun just i mean this is what you're saying too but it's fun to see how much Ron has grown. Like this is something he's learned while he's been out on the road. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, exactly. You know, food isn't just something that you can make out of thin air. Um, right. That's been a lesson he's learned the hard way. So. Very true. <laughs> yeah, I uh-huh. agree. It's funny, but also kind of significant for Ron to say mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, so then they, they're continuing to talk and Seamus says, it's even sprouted a pretty good bathroom once girls started turning up. And thought they'd quite like to wash. Yes, snapped Lavender Brown. She doesn't snap that. She supplies it. Oh, I thought it said snapped for a second. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Well, it was lavender. Oh, she supplies it. Very helpful. <laughs> um, but yeah, actually, speaking of um, washing and personal hygiene, that actually brings us into a word from our sponsor for today's episode. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Native. At Native, they create safe, simple, effective products that people use in the bathroom every day. Did you know that many conventional deodorants contain aluminum, which forms a plug in your sweat glands to keep you from sweating? Yikes. Native's deodorant is made without aluminum, so you can feel better about what you're putting on your body. And I'm sure Lavender um, would appreciate that. Yeah, she definitely would. And I think the room of requirement would supply that Native for the, that native deodorant for them. Um Native deodorant is safe. It's formulated without aluminum, parabens, or talc. Um, it's also vegan, and it's never tested on animals. Native deodorant is made with ingredients you've heard of, like coconut oil and shea butter. You wear deodorant every day, so shouldn't you be able to understand the ingredient list? Um, you would think. Not only that, um, but it also works. Um, making the switch to an aluminum-free deodorant does not mean that you have to sacrifice on performance. Native will keep you smelling and feeling fresh all day long. Yeah, and Native offers really amazing scents. Um, they have over 10 scents, including their classics and, rot and rotating seasonals. So you're guaranteed to find one that you love. Um, their classic scents include coconut and vanilla, which is the most popular, um, lavender and rose, uh, cucumber and mint, and eucalyptus and mint. Uh, I personally have the coconut and vanilla, which I really like the smell of. Um, it's, it has a really smooth texture to it. And for me, the best part is having it delivered right to my door. Um, that just makes it so convenient and easy. Um, and you said that one of the scents was Lavender Brown and Rose Weasley Granger? Exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that really is something for everyone. Uh, Native comes in a wide variety of options for men, women, and teens. They also offer an unscented option and a baking soda-free formula for those with sensitivities. And there's no risk to try. Uh, shipping is free on every order, and Native offers 30-day free returns and exchanges in the USA. If you're still not convinced, check out the over 9,000 five-star reviews from happy customers who made the switch to Native. And Native has a special offer for listeners of our show. For 20% off your first purchase, visit nativedeodorant.com and use the promo code REALWEIRD during checkout. Again, for 20% off your first purchase, visit nativedeodorant.com and use promo code REALWEIRD during checkout. Um, and that brings us right back into the show. Um, so, yes, there is a bathroom in the room of requirement, but apparently Neville's not using it to wash. Um, That's what I'm saying. Like, why does a he native look so subscription. Why does he look so unkempt? I've always been a little <laughs> unclear on that. It's an aesthetic thing, Alice. Yeah. You wouldn't get it. No, I it's guess very yeah, Gryffindor. He wants to look, like, real tough. Like, yeah. I'm on the run right now. I'm, like, I'm kind of like my buddy Dean and... Yeah, Harry and Ron. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And Seamus, of course. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so there, Harry's kind of looking around the room and he sees um, the, both the Patil twins, Terry Boot, Ernie McMillan, Anthony Goldstein, Michael Corner, um, the the old boys. We love them. <laughs> yeah. Um, the gang's all back together. Yeah, it is a great feeling to see all these people. Um, but as Harry's looking around and they're kind of asking about the Gringotts breaking and stuff, Harry has a quick flash into Voldemort's mind. And Voldemort is at the Gaunt house looking um, at the empty gold box, seeing that there's no ring there. And that's a really oof, eerie, eerie flash there. Yeah, definitely very foreboding, just knowing that he's made a step in that direction. Um, you know, one box is now checked, like he's checked off 
looking for the ring and he's going to now he like the list is getting shorter of what he has left to do before he's going to come to Hogwarts. Yeah. The only one that he has left now is the, um, the locket, right? Did he, yeah. Did he already, he already did check the, um, I guess he already knows about the diary. Yeah. Um, and he knows about the, um, locket. Cup. I mean the, the cup. Yeah. Yeah. You're so right. All he, all he has left is the cave in Hogwarts and Harry himself is thinking like, if he chooses Hogwarts first, um, then they're done for pretty much. Mm-hmm. Good thing that Voldemort, I don't know, he underestimated Harry as usual. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, they do say that um, Harry Harry immediately like changes in his demeanor and he's like trying to communicate to Ron and Hermione like that how how fast they need to move. But um, he has to kind of like parlay all these people trying to ask all these questions about what's happening. And Seamus is like, "What's the plan?" And Harry is like, "Well, there's no plan. Ron, Hermione, and I need to do something, and then we'll get out of here." <laughs> Nobody was laughing or whooping anymore. And I yeah. mean, I. I get it. Like everybody's been waiting around cooped up in this horrible environment, being tortured by death eaters and just being forced to listen to terrible propaganda for months on end. And they're so excited to see Harry. Um, They missed him so much. And, you know, then all of a sudden they're being told like, no, we're just going to be here for a few minutes. We're going to do a quick mission that you're not part of. And then we're going to leave. I can see why they're not enthused about that idea. Right. It's definitely not what they want to hear. Um, so they're Harry, like I said, is kind of having to like figure out how to talk to these people about what's happening. And he's also like in the middle of it, trying to like deal with the fact that his scar is scorching in pain. Like it really feels awful. And then all of a sudden, like in the middle of all of this, after Neville like is trying to give him more help, like people start coming through the passageway. Um, so Luna and Dean are the first two to come. Um, and then more and more people start coming. It's just, it kind of becomes this like chaotic mess of Harry trying to figure out how to get out of there and then people getting excited and then people getting distracted. Right. And it's like, again, like they all have amazing intentions and Harry has good intentions too, with wanting to keep them safe, but you can see why they're kind of, they're each of their own priorities is not really meshing with the other group. Right. Um, so Neville really like jumped the gun with it. And this is why I say like, I don't think Neville was like comfortable. I, I mean, I have, you never said that he was comfortable with the status quo, but like, I do think Neville has just been biding his time um, for Harry to show up because as soon as Aberforth, like, or as soon as Ariana brought the message to Neville that um, Harry was there, Neville apparently sent messages to pretty much everybody in his contacts list um, <laughs> on the galleons um, about the fact that Harry was there. So that's why all these people start showing up before there was even kind of, it's not like, it's not like Neville told Harry or like asked Harry whether he should talk, we sh- whether he should contact people. He just immediately sent out the message. Yeah, he, he did kind of jump the gun. I mean, it all works out. It's good that everybody's there as backup for the Battle of Hogwarts. But um, <laughs> I like how he didn't even ask Harry, like, what? I mean, he just made this assumption that, like, now Harry's here, it's time to fight. Yeah. <laughs> We got your message, Neville. Hello, you three. I thought you must be here. I guess it's probably Luna talking, so she probably shouldn't have been such a so much bravado like, in that voice. It sounded like Fred or George to me. Or Ernie. The way you said it. Yeah. Um, well, it's Luna and, De- Luna and Dean, which Seamus has to give a roar of delight. 
Neville's probably kind of like, oh, I guess I'm, I guess I'm chopped liver now. <laughs> Neville's feeling a little bit pushed to the side. Yeah. Um, I thought, I thought I was your number one bro, Seamus. Yeah. He's like, why did I invite Dean? <laughs> Um, it's like, why did Luna have to be with Dean? I couldn't invite her without inviting ne- without inviting would him. Have been, would have been awkward, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Luna and Dean are back, and they're very excited, and Harry's like, what are you doing here? And Neville, I sent for her. I promised her and Ginny that if you turned up, I'd let them know. We all thought that if you came back, it would mean revolution, that we were going to overthrow Snape and the Caros. Luna, of course that's what it means, isn't it, Harry? <laughs> I like how they all are just making all these assumptions constantly. Um, I also yes. like how a little bit earlier, um, Neville was like, we were all in it together. We've been keeping it going while you three have been off on your own. And then Ron gets kind of offended. And he's like, it hasn't exactly been a picnic, mate. <laughs> yeah, as if Neville was implying that it's been a picnic. <laughs> right, like Ron gets a little overly sensitive. It hasn't exactly been a picnic, mate. <laughs> um, but yeah, Harry's starting to get more panicked. Um, and I do like Michael Corner. You're going to leave us in this mess, he demands. <laughs> Look how Michael has suddenly become like this major character. Yes. Um, really yeah, feisty. Yeah, they continue with this back and forth about how they want to help and they want to be a part of it. And then here come Ginny, Fred, George, and Lee Jordan. Um, Ginny, Ginny's looking very beautiful. Even even Harry in his current state can see that. He had never been less pleased to see her. <laughs> Fred, Aberforth's getting a bit annoyed. He wants a kip and his bar's turned into a railway station. Like I said, it's very, very rude to apparate straight into someone's home. It'd be quite as quite as disrespectful as uh, knocking down the door, whatever Dumbledore says. Um, but wow. Oh my god, my mouth just fell open. <laughs> right behind Lee Jordan came Harry's old girlfriend, Cho Chang. Thank you. I'm glad we clarified who that is. I wasn't when if I would have just heard the name Cho, I wouldn't have known. Let alone her full name, Cho Chang, and then let alone we need it's good that we got that description. <laughs> right behind Lee Jordan came Harry's old girlfriend. Cho I like how his mouth fell open. <laughs> she goes, I got the message. And she walks over to sit beside Michael Corner. <laughs> Michael Corner generally tends to get like, well, I guess, okay. I guess in this case, um, Harry, I guess Ginny dated Michael first and then Harry. And then... Now it was Cho dated Harry first and then Michael. So they kind of did like a wife swap type situation. (laughs) Well, because Cho did start dating Michael Corner like after after she and Harry broke up. Um, So it's fitting. I I, I don't know if they're still together now. um, You have to think about Michael Corner and how much game he seems to have. He's quite the player. And I love, yeah, as, as Ron describes him, he's the dark one. He must be tall, dark and handsome. I just hope that he can... Um, someday, like, if he opened a bar or something, he has the perfect name for it. It's just Michael Corner. My- or Michael's Corner. Yeah, I think Michael Corner is the best. No, I like Michael's Corner. Because people aren't going to say, are you going to Michael today? They have to say, you're going to Michael's. 
Oh, you don't have to say that. You just say, like, I'm going to Michael Corner. Yeah, but people don't say the full name of a bar. You'd probably just say to the corner. Mm, Yeah, or to Michael's. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, let's do a Twitter poll of which which is a better name for a bar, Michael Corner or Michael's Corner. In this particular context of Michael Corner being the owner. It's it's good. Like it's a you don't want to just name it your name. It's well, it better to have to have a, a bar named Alice Oslison. <laughs> but it would to have Alice's Oslison. You could have Martha Table. <laughs> <laughs> I still think Martha's Table is better. <laughs> well, in that case, it's kind of funny, but. In order to get the to get the pun in there, you gotta just do it, Martha Table. But, no, it's not a pun if you just do Michael Corner. It's a pun if you do Michael's Corner. Okay, well, with Martha Table, that's where I was saying it was kind of more of a pun. Yeah, but for Michael Corner, like that's just his name. Exactly, it's but it not works funny. as the bar's like, name as well. It, no, but it needs to be. It's it's not. This is kind of a it's, relaxy taxi, relaxy cab type thing. Yeah. And I have yeah, picked I, the relaxy cab, and you have picked no, the relaxy you, taxi. Who picked relaxy taxi? <laughs> no, you definitely did. <laughs> it's not relax. It's not relaxy cab, or it's not relaxy cab. It's relaxy cab. Exactly. I picked. It's not cab. Michael. It's not Michael Corner. It's Michael Corner. You know, it's not Michael Corner. It's Michael Corner. No, it's Michael Corner. Okay, anyway. Um, so Fred is um, asking these questions about what, what the plan is. And Harry says, there is no plan, Fred. Um, just going to make it up as we go along, are we? My favorite kind. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. yeah so Harry, then... it, it is funny to see the chaos around Harry and how he can't handle it. And I think it's partly because he's really tired and... Uh, a little bit still tripped up on the mead, probably. Um, probably. <laughs> but he's like, you've got to stop this. What did you bring them all back for? Yeah. This and is insane. Dean, we're, Dean, we're fighting, aren't we? The message said Harry was back and we're going to fight. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that means that they're going to do that then. <laughs> right. Also, like, uh, okay, but... I, I, when did the coins become capable of sending, like, a full-length text message? Because they used to just change so that the date would be the date of the next meeting. Yeah, that's a good point. But, Harry's uh... back, and Harry's back, and we're going to fight. <laughs> yeah. Well, Neville, you know, it's all down to Neville. He really gets the coins. <laughs> I think so, too. Um... <laughs> but, yeah, so... Ron finally says, like, why can't they help? We don't have to tell them everything that we're doing, but they could help us um, do this faster. We have to find this object. We don't know what it is. We don't have to tell them what it is, but they can help us. And Hermione agrees. Yeah, and I mean, it's a good thing that they came up with this, because obviously they do need help. They don't really know what they're doing. And, like, everybody there is not going to even, like, let them do anything because they're, they're just too, like, eager Yes. Um, so, and uh, yeah, there's it, it also, I mean, like you said, like they do need their help. Um, that's that's probably what's even more important. Like, yes, they have to get them off their case, but also they need to um, they need to talk about um, or they 
they need their help. That's really what it is. Yeah. Um, but Harry's like having a dilemma in his mind. He's like, you know, he's like, Dumbledore had warned him against telling anyone but Ron and her, or telling anyone but Ron and Hermione about Horcruxes. Secrets and lies. That's how we grew up. And Albus, he was a natural. Yeah, that's. <laughs> and then like this is so this typical Harry. Like he just really overanalyzing the situation. Was he turning into Dumbledore? keeping his secrets clutched to his chest, afraid to trust. But Dumbledore had trusted Snape. And where had that led? To murder at the top of the highest tower. Mm, (laughs) Okay, Harry, snap to it. (laughs) Yeah, Harry's getting into this really emo little... I mean, I think it is is... mead-induced and lack of sleep-induced. Very lack of sleep-sounding to me, because what does, like... To murder at the top of the tallest tower. Like, that has nothing to do with the current situation at all. Well, Harry, Harry's like doing that, like, bouncing from thought to thought thing that we all we all know too well. Um, And, you know, it's classic jock move. Classic dumb jock move. Secrets and lies. That's how we grew up. And Albus, he was a natural. That is a pretty epic line, uh, but it so is, yeah, but Harry. Like, I, and I see how that applies, but then it goes down this weird rabbit hole and to murder at the top of the tallest tower. <laughs> yes. Well, so he decides that they are going to ask them for help, and so he says, like, he says to the group, like, they're looking for something that will help them overthrow, you know who, um, and it, yeah, somewhere at Hogwarts, they don't know what it is. It might have belonged to Ravenclaw something with an eagle on it maybe and he's looking around hoping for help and finally Luna's the one who speaks up and says that it might be the lost diadem what's a diadem <laughs> um it's a bit like a crown um <laughs> it's too bad though because Terry Boot actually said it's it's a kind of crown he doesn't say it's a bit like a crown right um but yeah so but it's lost that it, but the lost diadem is lost, Luna. That's sort of the point. That's what yeah. Michael Corner, Michael Corner right. says that. Yeah, it's funny to see how these Ravenclaws still just all these logical Ravenclaws always dismiss the creative Ravenclaw and Luna. It is funny because yeah, I was thinking about that too. Um, like just how they're within Ravenclaw, people think so differently. Um, it's not really like how in Gryffindor. I feel like everybody kind of thinks in a similar way um maybe not everyone but like it's a lot more consistent than with Ravenclaw where it's like you get all these different patterns of thinking right and yeah not everybody thinks the same way in Gryffindor Alice okay but, but you know what I mean I do know what you mean I think also Slytherin they all do for sure they just uh, think yes. evil right right that's what we think um but I, I think and in Hufflepuff Ravenclaw they don't really think am I right <laughs> okay okay <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, just... Disavow, disavow. Um, but I, I do think more more so of what the distinction between Ravenclaw's ways of thinking and uh, the other houses is that I think there's more of a hierarchy in Ravenclaw of like one way is seen as the superior way of thinking, even though there are there is this di- diversity of thought as one of the values of Ravenclaw. It's not necessarily what the individual Ravenclaws value. True. Um. But yeah, so Cho then offers um, that they could go to the Ravenclaw common room and look at the Raven or look at the diadem because Ravenclaw is wearing it in her statue in the common room. And Harry's like, okay, well, I guess that's really the only lead that we've got here, so might as well just do it. 
But yeah. no, Luna will take Harry, won't you, Luna? Ginny <laughs> <laughs> um, says that. She doesn't like the idea of Cho taking Harry. <laughs> right. Um, which I think at this point she could probably be confident in the fact that Harry and Cho are done for, but okay. I think so. <laughs> Um, yeah, so Harry and Luna, um, take off, and, um, they go under the invisibility cloak, of course, um, and of course that's going to stay on the entire time, because Harry knows how important it is to wear the invisibility cloak, he would never take it off in the class, that would be really, really dumb, and he would never do that. No, he would never, ever do that. Um, yeah, so they put the invisibility cloak on to go out, and it's uh, an interesting feature of this of the room here is that the cupboard opens up into a different spot each day, so they never are able to find out. Um, they're like the caros are never able to find it because they don't see where people are coming and going. Hmm, I, that's interesting. I've never really noticed that before, to be honest. Like I always assumed this had to be like I just didn't know that the room of requirement could have an exit in variety of different places in the school i mean it it makes sense as far as for their protection but it's just i don't know it also doesn't make sense like as far as physics goes um yeah that's true but uh we know that the physics never really makes that much sense so or the physics of hogwarts never really makes that much sense that's true um yeah so it uh it's a nice feature of the room. The only thing is that they have to figure out where they are, but good thing Harry has the Marauder's map. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they figure out that they're on the fifth floor and um, they're walking together under the invisibility cloak, checking the Marauder's map whenever they can. Um, and they do finally end up at um, the entrance to the common room. I do like when they're walking. Um, it says that Harry's worst fear is peeves. Um <laughs> <laughs> if he saw Peeves, then he knows that Peeves would um, be really, really loud, I guess. Well, what would Peeves say? First years in the corridor! <laughs> Ickle thirsties. Ickle thirsties! You would tell it's Potty Wee Potter! <laughs> but I don't know if Filch really would, or if Peeves really would have been the worst thing for Harry to meet. Yeah, I feel like there's definitely worse. The only thing would be is if Peeves didn't... I mean, I feel like if Peeves saw that it was Harry, he might actually be okay. Um, yeah. But if he saw that there was... Like, if he saw, like, a random foot under the invisibility cloak or something, then maybe he would, I don't know, just start shouting. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah I mean, I, the worst Peeves thing, I don't know. Peeves, he sees a footsie. What <laughs> does Peeves see? It's a footsie. <laughs> but I do feel like Harry actually should be a little bit more worried about the Caros. Like, clearly he's not later yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, they show up at the Eagle. Um, and this is an interesting moment where um, Harry or Luna has to do this Eagle door knocker. And um, the bird calls out, which came first, the Phoenix or the Flame? And every time, so apparently every time to enter the common room, you've got to answer a riddle. Now, I do think that that's kind of a fun way of entering the common room instead of a password, but um, it might get old. Well, but yeah, I, and it's a little risky because, I, well, how long do they keep, is it a, is it literally a different password every single time? Or, I mean, a different riddle? Well, I feel like they've got to, like, rotate them out, like, 
is there really an infinite number? Maybe maybe it's um, like adaptive, like it can tell who who it's in front of, and it has like a certain number, like that it wouldn't repeat to the same people or something. I, well, I just feel case, like why wouldn't it just let the raven claws in? Yeah, that's a good point. But I just feel like uh, it definitely definitely is a new question. It's not like it keeps the same question for a while because like when I McGonagall would be stressed with it because even though I enjoy riddles, like. Sometimes I just don't know what it is. You know, like, it's not like every single one is a logic puzzle. Like, sometimes there's ones where it's, like, very tricky and you have to really be thinking a certain way. And, I mean, I get that that's kind of what Ravenclaw's about. But at the same time, like, sometimes you just don't know. So then I guess I guess Luna, I think, says, like, then you have to wait for someone else who gets it right. That way you learn, see? I guess you're not really um, as much of a Ravenclaw as you thought you were, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's okay. <laughs> I'm secure in my Ravenclaw hood. Okay, if you say so. Um, but yeah, the answer to this question is that uh, a circle has no beginning. Well reasoned. Well, well reasoned. <laughs> um, yeah, it is a fun little question here. Obviously, it's a play on which came first, the chicken or the egg. It's the magical it version. It is a play on that. Yeah. Which um, do you think but, out of those two? I definitely think the egg. Yeah, I do too. You do? Yeah, because dinosaurs laid eggs. You don't think the circle has no beginning? I think it's an egg because dinosaurs laid eggs. Well, which came first, the dinosaur or the egg? The egg. I agree. <laughs> I still think it's the egg. Um, but my I do like to say it's because dinosaurs laid eggs. But anyway. But how did um, the egg get so, there? Okay. They, <laughs> from the dinosaur. Um, oh, but for the, how did the dinosaur egg oh. get there? Um, well, a circle has no beginning else. <laughs> well, reason. Anyway, they, ent- they enter the Ravenclaw common room. And um, Harry recognizes the Rowena Ravenclaw statue. And... He's he walks right up to her and sees the diadem on her head, and he's so enraptured by the sight of the diadem that he decides to. Oh wait, he he steps out from under the cloak. Harry, don't step out from under the cloak. <laughs> he's he's so mesmerized by the diadem, and he has to read, "Wit beyond measure is man's greatest treasure." Thank you, Harry. <laughs> he climbs up onto Ravenclaw's plinth to <laughs> read that. Which, Which makes, makes you, you pity. Oh, you want to do it, Alice? Oh, you do it. <laughs> Which makes you pretty skint, witless. <laughs> <laughs> Which I do have to agree with. Like, what were you doing, Harry? And he's tired. Like, oh, what is that? <laughs> it's Sorry. the mead. Sorry, Lu- mead. <laughs> Sorry, Luna. Just, I need to climb out from under this cloak just Wh- for a second. It'll, it's fine. I love picturing, I love picturing Harry. Wit beyond measure is man's greatest treasure. Yeah, like, <laughs> like how, how Electo says that out loud. Electo lets Electo lets him uh like get through reading the the message before she, she reveals herself. She has a pretty good uh, like. Yeah, that's a pretty killer uh, reveal there. Yeah, um, it is a pretty killer reveal. I do have to say, um, Electo pretty good with the. The one-liners there. I didn't realize she would be that smart. No, I didn't either. I'm kind of impressed, to be honest. Yeah, uh, but she then immediately presses her finger to her dark mark. Uh, 
Because okay, another way that she's smarter than the average Death Eater. <laughs> um, why? Death eaters, most Death Eaters wait like until Harry has a chance to come up with some sort of way to worm out of the situation. Yeah, but it was kind of dumb to do that because, um, well, I guess I guess you're actually right. Um, that it's good that for the for the Death Eater's side, like it is good that they're coming or that she summons him. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I think she doesn't hesitate the way some of the Death Eaters do. She clearly, it's, you see that she is not as scared of Voldemort as she maybe should be, actually. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I don't know whether it's intelligence or um, naivete, the word that I'm really good at saying. I don't think it's naivete. Um, (laughs) And I also don't think it's naivete. (laughs) (laughs) Stop. (laughs) I try, I try, I just can't say it. Yeah, (laughs) but I don't think it's naivete. I think it's more of like, She's just so, like, oh, confident in her own whatever. She has confidence in Dark Mark. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I love picturing, picturing, um, picturing Electo swinging her suitcases <laughs> around her body. Right. I do not um, like Yeah. <laughs> no, me neither. Okay, well, that's the end of the chapter. We've got to figure out where we are going to rank it. Um, what do you think? Well, okay, I, there was a lot I did enjoy, but I kind of don't think it's very top tier for me. No, it was good. I, I do think it's an exciting chapter, um, but it's definitely not the best chapter we've had. Um, I'd say somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I'm looking at now i think we've got a lot of top tier ones like our top 12 right now i think probably should stay how it is oh yeah for sure green gods is chapter 12 or is in place 12 we can definitely not put this higher than that right Um, i don't think it would go higher than the deathly hallows or either no probably not um life and lies of albus dumbledore i think maybe either this one goes right above it or right below that because the nursery's departing is next yeah, mm, I guess, yeah, right around there. It sounds good to me, too. I think my vote would probably be for right below um, Life and Lies of Albus Dumbledore, putting it at four, uh, 15th spot um, out of 28 or 29. Um, so that'd be smack dab in the middle. Um, I just think that Life and Lies of Albus Dumbledore has so many reveals Um whereas this one is more just a lot of Neville telling stories. So yeah, um, that makes sense. This, this one was more of a filler chapter. Like we're trying to get caught up to the action. Yeah. It's very good filler. I really like it, but, and it's very exciting to be leading up to everything. See everyone again too. Yeah. Yeah. So I think personally, I would, I think we should put it at spot 15. Yeah. That sounds good to me. And for our real weirdo, um, I think probably Neville is top contender, but Seamus would be an option. Lavender would be an option. Um, Cho, Terry Boot. Harry's old girlfriend. Oh, ooh, Terry Boot. I kind of want to give it to Terry Boot. Just for shouting in the... Yeah. Uh, one of our patrons, Harrison, recently uh, was trying to do some research, trying to figure out some trends uh, about our real weirdos. And 
Um, all he said was uh, that you guys tend to pick some pretty strange real weirdos, but that's the point. So, <laughs> well, they're real weird. Yeah, exactly. So I think Terry Boot, it's a, it, he's long due his his uh, real weirdo champion title. So he is. Let's go ahead and put that crown on him. All right, sounds good. Um, I will right. feel kind First of bad if Neville doesn't get it at all. Terry. I'll feel He'll kind of bad. It. I I hope he will, but yeah. He'll definitely get it. He's, I mean, he's got to have his There's moment. There's still a ton of, of chapters so. left. Yeah, exactly. There's, yeah. Um, yeah, so that is our chapter ranking in Real Weirdo. You can find those lists on our website, realweirdsisters.com. Don't forget to also go to realweirdsisters.com slash feedback to give us our feedback this year. Um, hopefully maybe my imposter syndrome will be put to rest here and at least I'll get some, you know, even I would even take some negative feedback at this point. <laughs> hey, don't say that. Just kidding. Yeah, but that actually, that survey that. is where you, we would prefer to get our negative yeah. feedback. Definitely. That's the place to give us the negative feedback because that's where we can actually do something about it instead of just have it be permanently on iTunes forever. Um, but speaking of iTunes, um, we would love it if you would, uh, Give us a five-star review on there. Make sure you're also subscribed. Um, we would love um, to read your review on the podcast. And speaking of which, we have one this week to read from A Green 419 The title is Your Next Binge Listen. This person says, I stumbled onto this podcast through a friend several months ago and have been rereading the series and binge listening ever, ever since. I'm now halfway through Goblet of Fire. I wanted to be totally caught up before writing a review, but I figured it was safe to say that this podcast only gets better and better. Ever so cool like Bill and good-natured like Charlie, this sibling pair keeps me chortling through my commutes and mundane daily tasks with their analytical and opinionated takes on the Harry Potter series. Your dedication is much appreciated, and I can't wait to catch up. A loyal Hufflepuff. So thank you. It's very nice. Very nice. And Martha, who's who? Um, what do you mean? I think I'm definitely Bill. I, I'm very round-faced, so I'll take it. Um, <laughs> thank you, A. Green. I appreciate that review. Um, make sure that you're also liking us on Facebook at facebook.com slash realweirdsisters and following us on Twitter at realweirdsister. Um, we're getting closer and closer to that thousand Twitter followers goal, um, but um, we're not there yet, so it's go ahead be and, kind of a, and follow. It's going to be kind of close with getting to that point before we hit the end of the book club. So Definitely. we're going to need to pick up the pace a little bit. We can't just have like two followers a week. Exactly. Um, yeah. So um, finally, um, the number one way that you can support the show is by going to patreon.com slash real weird sisters and subscribing at our and financially supporting the show there um we have several different levels that you can support the show um at and all levels are very supportive and helpful for us to be able to continue to make the show better yes we definitely super appreciate that we love getting to know our patrons and we'd love to have you in our patron community definitely and big shout out to all our patrons um who help us here so um we couldn't do without you and also make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast in your podcatcher or iTunes, whatever podcatcher you use. Um, we are going to be releasing a special topics show very, very soon um, in the next couple days here. Um, so make sure that you're subscribed so you can see that. Um, and finally, we'll be back next week with chapter 30, which is the sacking of Severus Snape. Until next time, we're the Real Weird Sisters. <laughs>
We're the weird sisters, we're the real weird sisters. All you other weird sisters are fine, we're not the vicars. Well, the real weird sisters, please stand up. Please stand up. Please stand up. 